You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. As you may know, over the last few months, uh, the last few weeks and months, we've been looking at original blessing and what original blessing might mean in terms of progressive theology. Uh, we've been loosely basing it on this book here, Orig- Original Blessing, um, which is by Daniel uh, Schroer. Um, and that's the sort of loose basis as to how we've been doing that. We've also been drawing in some of our own thoughts uh, into the mix as well. But if you haven't already got a copy of that, um, you might like to get a copy or you can let us know if you'd like to borrow a copy of that book, Original Blessing. I'm going to start this part of the service with a couple of readings. And um, have I got the clicker? Is it the clicker here? Yeah. Um, so the, the first reading uh, that we're going to have today uh, comes from the book of Numbers. So here is the reading from the book of Numbers. AA Cleaning Services. 01225-671923. Abraham John. 01225-654-376. Adamson Mary. 01225-643274. Addison George. 01225-690568. Argyle Allison, 01225-654-390. Ahern Richard, 01225-634-876. And that's going to conclude our reading from the book of Numbers. The second reading this morning comes from the book of Song of Songs. I don't want to talk about the things we've gone through. Though it's hurting me, now it's history. I've played all my cards, and that's what you've done too. Nothing more to say, no more ace to play. That concludes the two readings this morning. So we're familiar with the words, but the context is a bit strange. We're familiar with the words of the song, but it's not supposed to be read out. It's certainly not supposed to be read out on a Sunday morning in church. It was written to be sung. That's the context of that particular piece of writing. That was the author's intent to be sung. And the phone book was useful. Um, Hands up for a moment, who remembers the phone book? (laughs) This is the age thing then, this is who remembers the phone book? I'm going to admit to knowing the phone book. Let me ask another question, when was the last time you actually used a phone book? (laughs) They still do produce the phone book, I think, but but who who uses a phone book these days? It feels like a, a bit of a dated thing now. Um, and then, of course, there was the sort of directory inquiries, wasn't there? What was the number? Was it 192, wasn't it? it used to phone for directory inquiries. Um, and uh, used to ask somebody for, for a, a telephone number at the end of the phone. Um, it was free, I think, originally, or part of your phone package, wasn't it? But then they started charging lots when it became 118 and the different companies got involved. Um, trying to explain that to, to your children, that you used to um, 
phones somebody to find out a telephone number for someone. Feels very strange now, doesn't it? It feels something like that, something like, I don't know, an ancient uh, thing that we used to do. Um, and when it comes to, I mean, just as a side, um, as well as that, describing dialer disc. Did anybody do dialer disc? Well, <laughs> as a teenager, in order to um, get to listen to some songs, um, you would dial a number um, and the, you, you would hear the songs being played, the chart songs being played down the telephone in telephone quality to you. Describing that to your children, that's a <laughs> strange, isn't it, when we look back? But when it comes to the phone book, again, it wasn't the author's intent. It's not how the, how the phone book is supposed to be used that we read out a list of telephone numbers, particularly in a church service. So context is really important. It's not only about what is written, but it's about who it's written for, what the context is, and why we use that particular writing. So we need to ask questions when we get a piece of writing. We need to ask questions of it. When was it written? Who wrote it? What's their bias or what's their agenda? Who is it written for? And why is it written? And we do that all the time when it comes to most written form. When it comes to literature, when we think of the, the context of Shakespeare, it was written to be acted. It was written to be a play. It wasn't really written to be read in a classroom in school. That thing's about bad memories, I have to say. Context matters. And so we often, we need to think about that when we come to the Bible as well. But yet we often read the Bible, people often read the Bible as if it was written last week in Bath. It wasn't. And therefore it makes no sense reading it in that context. It makes no more sense than reading the phone book out loud in church. The Bible wasn't written last week and it wasn't written in Bath. And therefore we need to do a bit more work on that. When it comes to Genesis, some people will read the text literally as God creating the world in seven days, 4,000 years ago. I think most of us have probably moved on from that way of reading creation. And so we bring our own interpretation on the text, realising that these texts deserve a lot more work than just surface reading. But we also have to admit that we might not have it all sorted. I know that's a shock, isn't it, really? That we might not have it all sorted. We don't have all the answers and we might not be reading the text in the way it was originally intended. We admit that we might not have it sorted and that our reading might not be the initial intent. These are ancient texts that we have, that we use, that we read in church that we try and theologise together about. They've got many layers to them. And actually, it becomes exciting when we start to dig a bit deeper. So we try to understand something of the context that the passages were derived from. At college, at the Baptist college that I went to, um, the course I did was in contextual theology. And the whole idea of that context 
is significant and really important, both the context in which the scriptures are written, but also our context as well and how we translate those and how we interpret them in our particular context here. Because that, to me, seems like uh, the living uh, example of the scriptures. So when it comes to Genesis, there are lots of schools of thought about how we interpret Genesis. And in theological circles, um, there's a, a, lo a lot of thinking at the moment about Genesis deriving from storytelling, um, and particularly the stories told by the exiled Hebrews in Egypt. So there were many creation stories around at the time, not just our biblical narrative. In fact, not even our biblical narrative. There were lots of creation stories, and if you delve deeper into history, you'll find lots of different creation stories of different cultures, um, particularly around the Middle East. And so the thinking is that the Genesis accounts, the, in the early parts of Genesis, are stories told by those exiled Hebrews in Egypt. The exiled Hebrews are an oppressed and underrepresented group, and so for them, their identity is important to maintain. And in the face of being a marginalised group, they start to tell their stories. They start to tell their songs, they sing their songs. They start to create their poetry, and that is given and translated to somebody else and, and, and is continued and continued and passed down and passed down. This idea of telling stories, telling their story, telling their, singing their songs. How can we sing a song in a strange land? How has their God been with them through this difficult time? And so in the breadth of creation stories and flood stories around at the time, they add their stories into the mix. They use poetry, they use storytelling. Genesis 1, therefore, is often referred to as the creation poem. And I invite you to try reading it again and thinking of it as poetry. There's a rhythm, there's a cyclical pattern that flows through those creation stories. And I mentioned creation stories because there are two creation stories that we have in our Genesis account. And they differ in the way the world was made. And that can be challenging if you're reading from a literal perspective because um, which one do you believe? They're not the same. It's always quite interesting to challenge someone who says they believe in a literal biblical creation. Well, the answer to that is, well, which biblical literal translation do you believe in? Because there's two of them um, in Genesis. If you have a look at the, the biblical account of, gen of creation, you'll find right next to each other there sits two different accounts of the way the world was created. But that does make sense if you think of it as a library or a collection of different creation stories coming out of that place of exile. Now, I don't think this devalues Genesis, and I hope you don't as well. I think it actually enriches it. I think it brings it alive uh, in the context of oppression, in the context of marginalised people, in the context of this storytelling and just as you can't read Abba as fact or the phone book as fiction, how we read Genesis matters. 
it matters because a literal reading as it was written as if it was written last week in Bath leads us to a place of Adam and Eve as literal human beings eating an apple we refer to the apple as a picture of an apple on on the screen but actually if you read the text it doesn't actually say an apple um, that's that's more snow white <laughs> um, in the biblical account of uh, of creation and then the garden of eden it talks about the fruit um, we've put our translation, our interpretation on it being an apple. And that's sort of kind of, when you think about Adam and Eve, you automatically think of an apple, don't you? But that doesn't actually say that. It says a fruit. It could have been an orange. <laughs> uh, it could have been a banana. Maybe not. But it could have been. It doesn't say an apple specifically. But that's the interpretation that, that we put on it. And that's what we think about when it comes to that one. It also leads us to a place of a whole theology Um, of original sin and that's the context that we're addressing in this series saying actually is that part of the biblical account is that something we've put on it so if we see the early accounts in Genesis as the Hebrews storytelling you get the thread of humankind choosing good or bad but not being born that way The first creation poem in Genesis makes a point of saying that God looked upon the earth and upon humankind and saying, it was good. In the poem, God rests on the seventh day because the job is done. No more tweaks to make. It's good. So the opening verses in Genesis, seen as poetry by the early Hebrews, starts with the very notion that things were made to be good. That humans were made good and in the image of God. But we have a choice as to how to behave and that comes out in those creation poems and in the story of the Garden of Eden. There's a line in the musical, I always like to get a musical line in somewhere in the, in the service. Uh, there's a line in the musical Wicked that says, were people born wicked or have they had wickedness thrust upon them? Is there a sense that the idea of us having wickedness thrust upon us at birth is, is a concept that we've added into the text and is not actually there when we read it? The context of original sin, it just isn't there when you read it. It's, it's, it's um, what we've interpreted into the text. And I'm not saying whether that interpretation is right or wrong. Uh, I happen to think it's not right, but um, I'm not saying whether it's right or not. But it's just not there in the original text. It's an interpretation that we've brought into it. And so I offer this uh, other, other way of looking at that text this morning as the early Hebrews telling their stories, writing their songs, writing their poetry and how we interpret those stories. And when you view Genesis as story and when you view Genesis as poetry, suddenly the idea of a talking snake makes sense. (laughs) It's poetic license, right? It's okay. So the Garden of Eden as the set of the story and the idea of humankind living in paradise but messing it up is one which the early Hebrews and we can relate to. And the idea of the flood wiping out existence 
again makes sense in the context of storytelling and amongst the other flood stories which would have been around at the time. So inevitably, we bring our interpretation to stories. And original sin has become a major interpretation, but it's not there in Genesis. Genesis is a story of God, the God of the oppressed, creating a world which is essentially good, and humankind who equally are made in the image of God and therefore inherently good. It doesn't shy away from the fact that we mess things up, but it doesn't have to read that all humankind is doomed because of two literal people. I want to finish just by saying that there are, of course, these are, of course, ancient texts that we are dealing with, and there's no concrete way of knowing the intent of these writings for sure. They weren't written last week. They weren't written in Bath. When we think about other pieces of work that we look at literacy-wise, taking Shakespeare as the example, we know that the context it was written, well, actually, these texts were way, way before any of those writings, and therefore, we have to do the, the work behind it. And we can have to say that we don't necessarily know the intent completely of the writers. So seeing the book as Gen of Genesis as poetry and storytelling doesn't belittle the Bible. In fact, it's just another way of interpreting those texts. But we can't say for sure that's the exact interpretation. But I offer it to you this morning. I think it makes it more exciting. I think we can discover a lot through storytelling and through the poetry and the songs that these early Hebrews write and share and share down the generations. Maybe an opportunity to reread those verses and think of them in the light of storytelling and poetry. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the tradition of storytelling and the richness that culture and context brings to us. May we understand more of you as we take a fresh look at the early writings of Scripture. Be with us today as we live out our faith in our context, in our place, and in our time. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.